Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to the Sports Garden Network Podcast. Your source for sports entertainment. Incredible sports wagering intelligence. Welcome, sports fans. This is Wagering Week. I'm Tom Barton. That's right. We are Wagering Week. Facebook and Twitter is how you get in touch with us. It is Sports Garden, G-A-R-T-E-N, hashtag S-G-N, 855, the number 4, G-A-R-T-E-N, iTunes, iHeartRadio, any of our fine syndicated affiliates. You can always listen to our weekend show, Wanna Bet Weekend Edition, heard in over 100 radio stations across America. You guys can go check all that out. Go to sportsgarden.com as well. Find us there. And, uh, oh, look, guys, we have a massive, massive sports week that's going on right now. It looks like we're going to have another good sports weekend. So I want to get into that. Also, I do want to get into some of the NFL stuff that with the lines coming out and the the lines moving and changing, I want to get into some of that as well. Plus, some baseball look-aheads. You know, there is oftentimes that we sit down and we have conversations about you know, the futures plays, and when do you get on them? And I've given this example before, and I've said it many, many times, and, and I will repeat it here. When you're talking about futures plays in any sport, I'm always of the mind that I want to talk about futures plays very, very early or very, very late. When I'm going out there and I'm doing team total wins, uh, when I'm going out there and even betting a, a Super Bowl or a national championship, World Series, and whatnot. I love to get really early lines, really early odds as soon as they come out, um, or I like to get really late. There's not usually that time that you'll see, and I'll just use the NFL, for example, to jump out here. There's not a lot of times in the NFL season where you'll see me go back in or the offseason. There are certain key moments I usually make a bet, and I, I've, I've said this for years, and I've told people this for years. I love to make a bet the day after the Super Bowl. Well, I used to go to Vegas, and I, and I did. I, I went to Vegas, I think, I mean, every single year except for about one for more than a decade and, and watch the Super Bowl there. And I'd wake up the next morning, a little bit hungover, but i wake up the next morning, and I would make a bet that day. It's the early lines, it's before any free agency had occurred, it's before the draft had occurred, and I love to get on those early lines. If I didn't get that, I always say, wait until really late. And when I say really late, I mean the the week before, um, days before even. Uh, that Thursday is opening night, now we have that that new Thursday opening night, I guess it's not so new anymore, but... Um, make that make a futures play on that Monday or Tuesday. So you get all of the injury information. You get all of the movement. You, you kind of have a feel for the teams. But there are markers over the course of a season. There are dis- definitive markers over the course of the season that you can look at and you can say, okay, 
That's what I'm going to go take a peek at. That is what I, I, I want to go and grab. And if you look at, okay, what are we going to go grab? You know, wh where are we going to go grab these things that, that, that we want? Well, okay, we want to take a look at certain certain times. And well, if the certain times, free agency is a pretty good certain time, but you don't want to overreact. One free agent goes, it's usually going to lead to much more free agencies going and, and who's going to fall into what place. So you don't want to overly react to free agency. Um, right after the draft is always a pretty good time. The problem is right after the draft is a pretty good time. The problem with is with that, usually emotions are running high. Team writers are saying it's the greatest draft of all time. You're getting your grades out. Um, people believe that rookies will have a much bigger impact than they really do. Look, some rookies come in and some rookies dominate, okay? And you know the names. I don't have to go over them. Some rookies don't officially dominate, and they don't really skew the lines too much. So you want to kind of take a look after the draft? All right, that's okay. And then I always say right around this week, right around kind of where it's the OTAs, Things have settled down from the draft. The schedules are now out, which we went over the schedules. The schedules are out. Things there for the draft are done. Uh, there's not a lot of enthusiasm. Well, this guy's in the best shape of his life. You, know, you don't have a lot of that rhetoric and conversation going on. So this isn't a terrible time if you wanted to dip back into futures plays. In the NBA, well, the NBA is kind of the same situation. In the NBA, right after and I'll tell you what, the NBA is actually funny because I was going to say right after the championship goes off, um, but the NBA season goes on so long and then free agency is right away. A good time to sort of jump on futures plays is almost like now between the championship games. It's almost right now, to be honest with you, um, when you're really looking at it. So the NBA season is not bad right now if you wanted to kind of dive back in and get something going for next year. But I don't advise with that. Let, let them go throughout the entire playoffs. So you still have the same kind of thing, right? Before the season, right after the season, free agency. The draft does not impact championship odds for the NBA. It just doesn't. The draft is set up in a much better position than the NFL where um, it really helps the, the smaller team. So no one's really getting draft help that you were going to go out there and make a bet on to win the championship anyway, and probably not even wins odds. So the draft doesn't really impact it. And then you come to what we're going to talk about today is Major League Baseball. And you get certain points in a Major League Baseball season where you can go back into futures. And the same thing with the NFL. Look, I'll take a team, and I've, I did this with the Kansas City Chiefs a couple of years ago. I will take a team after five or six games, and I'll go, okay, well, that's the team, and go back into a Super Bowl. But in Major League Baseball, you have such a long season, you have certain times. Yes, right after the season, you could grab odds. In Major League Baseball, I never do. Because free agency is so massive and so impactful and so huge in Major League Baseball, I don't take a bet for the next year in October. I usually wait until right before spring training and then right after spring training to go in for my futures place. But I will say this. Major League Baseball, more than any other sport out there, there are key points during the season to jump back into futures plays. A key point is usually right before or right after the trading deadline. If you believe your team is close uh, and you go, you know what? I think they're close. They're a buyer. We'll talk about the Angels, right? Angels are in first place. They got a lot of money. I, I think they're going to go buy a pitcher. Maybe you get ahead of the curve there. Well, 
waiting to see who the, who the, that pitcher is. Let's sit back and see who the Angels might be able to bring in to kind of help them, or the Yankees bring in, or the Mets bring in, or the Dodgers bring in, or the Brewers bring in, or Cardinals bring in, uh, you know, or one of the teams that are leading the division. Who who are they going to go bring in? So there are moments that you could dive back in. But whereas football, the NBA. And even the Heisman Trophy race, in a lot of ways, Heisman you could you could dive back in the Heisman race, but you don't have a lot of player props that you can adjust consistently throughout the season. And I will tell you that this year is no different than most. I love to take a big a, some player props during the year because you can consistently still make money on the MVP, on Cy Young, and so on. So where we sit right now for the National League MVP. Juan Soto is still the favorite. He's about five to one. Ronald Acuna is eight to one. Um, you have guys like Arenado's nine to one. Francisco Lindor is ten to one. Manny Machado is about twelve to one. Freddie Freeman's like fourteen to one. Bryce Harper about thirteen to one. He he was getting up there. Matt Olson's twenty five to one still. Uh, Jazz Chisholm is about fifty five to one. C.J. Crone, by the way, is seventy five to one. Um, Jeff McNeil, anybody like Jeff McNeil at 250 to one, you can go out there and take a shot at some of these guys. That's for National League MVP. I'll tell you the guy that I'm looking at and the guy that I'm looking at, I'm not only looking at pure numbers, but the guy I would go back into and you could get in most places, you're getting 30 to one or better on him. And that's Paul Goldschmidt. Paul Goldschmidt was an MVP candidate last year. Paul Goldschmidt ended with numbers in the National League, which was a weak National League field. I'll give you that. But Paul Goldschmidt ended last season with numbers that were consistent of MVP level. 102 runs, 99 RBIs, 31 home runs, a guy batted 294 with 12 steals. Solid numbers, but he was in the MVP conversation last year. Here's the thing with Paul Goldschmidt. He is a notorious slow starter. And when I mean slow starter... Sometimes, and D-backs fans will tell you this, sometimes Paul Goldschmidt was a guy where in April and May you're going, hmm, I don't know. Early in his career, people go, maybe he's that fluke. So remember, Paul Goldschmidt was not supposed to be that guy, right? And then he came over to St. Louis, and he, he had the same kind of weird start. And he go, ah, you know what? Maybe it's a chain of scenery. Last year, he had a terrible, terrible beginning to the season. Well, this year, April wasn't great for him. But May has been phenomenal. And and April wasn't terrible. Where Paul Goldschmidt sits as I'm recording this, okay, and I'm recording this in the middle of the week, 25 runs, 33 RBIs, 7 home runs, 3 steals. Guy's batting close to 340. Close to 340. So I'm looking at Paul Goldschmidt in a field where Tatis is banged up, in a field where Acuna is banged up, in a field where... Juan Soto, I know he's leading the charge, but guys, Juan Soto is a guy that uh, he's going to be on a last place team. I'm looking at Paul Goldschmidt. I'm going his projected numbers are, or, or I should say what he's on pace for right now. Just under 30 home runs. Okay, the power numbers are not phenomenal. 100 runs, 130 RBIs, 11 steals, 337 average. That's pretty impressive. That is pretty impressive if you're going out there and taking a shot at somebody at more than 25 to 1 odds, which he is right now. Now, Ronald Acuna has a 274 average. He's got eight steals. He's only got two home runs and five RBIs. Ronald Acuna is not winning this award, guys. He's not winning this award. Now, again, Juan Soto is leading the charge for good reason. We understand how good Juan Soto can be. Uh, I actually saw an article out there saying, oh, he's the next Ted Williams. But 
Look, at the end of the day, eight home runs is nice. 13 RBIs? Product of the team around him, sure. 245 batting average? Really? So I think that the biggest competition right now for, uh, to me, who should be leading this charge it, it is very simply Manny Machado. It's Manny Machado or Paul Goldschmidt. I'm taking Paul Goldschmidt. Manny Machado, eight home runs, 27 RBIs, 34 runs, 365 average, seven stolen bases. I think most people would give it to Manny Machado right now. But as I just explained to you, Manny Machado is sitting there with pretty good odds if you're if you're looking at 12 to 1. I've seen him as high as 10 to 1. By the end of the week, he might be 8 to 1. I'd rather have a guy at 25 or more to 1 than Paul Goldschmidt, which numbers I think is going to move, than I would for a Manny Machado. So for me, Paul Goldschmidt is the value play here, even though Machado's probably the guy. Now, if the Marlins could ever get back into this thing, by by the way, I don't know if they can. I don't know if the Marlins can make, um, you know, any kind of uh, any kind of uh, of charge at all. But if they could make any kind of charge, you got to look at Josh Chisholm, who's having a fantastic season. AL MVP. Look. Mike Trout was going to be right there. You knew that. Shohei Otani is the betting favorite. Weirdly, plus 130, he's the betting favorite. Mike Trout is right after him. Um, he's about 3-1. to one. Vladimir Guerrero Jr., who's not having a good year, is about 6-1. to one. Byron Buxton is sitting there at 10-1. to one. Jose Ramirez is 12-1. to one. Aaron Judge is now, look, he started the week, Oh, well, he started about a week and a half ago at 12 to 1. He's now at 9 to 1. I've seen him as low as 6 to 1, but you could get him at 9 to 1. You look at Ramirez and you go, okay, he's got good numbers and he's solid. I don't understand the Shohei Otani stuff right now. I get it, you know, that every single season, if you want to have a conversation about Shohei Otani, you can have that conversation. And that conversation every single season is going to be, well, he pitches also, but he's batting 259. He's got nine homers, he's got 28 RBIs, he's got 30 runs, but he's batting 259, and, and that comes with quite a few strikeouts. He's got 43 strikeouts. So the old school guys might not choose him. Plus, he's battling someone on his own team. And on his own team is Mike Trout, who's got 35 runs, 26 RBIs, he's got 12 homers, and he's batting 323. Now, Mike Trout isn't running any longer. But if you're going to make a choice between Mike Trout and Shohei Otani for the Angels representative for the MVP right now, you're going 100% with Mike Trout. But here's the thing. Aaron Judge is winning this award hands down without a problem if the writers do what the writers are supposed to do. Now, we watched in the past. Don Mattingly got screwed over because he was a New York Yankee. Derek Jeter should have won the MVP. He was a Yankee. Aaron Judge should have won the MVP over Altuve, but he was a Yankee and he didn't. Last year, Garrett Cole was a Cy Young Award winner, but he didn't get it because he was a Yankee. Miguel Andujar should have been the Rookie of the Year, didn't get it because he's a Yankee. But I don't think you could deny Aaron Judge's numbers. 35 homers, 17 home uh, 17 home runs, 35 runs, 34 RBIs. Guy's batting 325. He's playing center field now as well, which is a premium position. He's on pace. He is on pace right now for more than 60 home runs to set the American League re record, reset the American League record at more than 60 home runs, 140-some-odd runs, 140-some-odd RBIs. He's phenomenal. He will walk away with this award without a question. The thing is, can he stay healthy? Can he keep up this pace? The other guy, by the way, is Giancarlo Stanton. Stanton can get red hot at times, and he looks pretty good right now. He can be the guy. How about NL Cy Young? Max Scherzer's out. 
Clayton Kershaw is out. Jacob deGrom is out. Corbin Burns and Woodruff have been up and down. Freddie Peralta was everyone's pick. He's been up and down. So you got Carlos Rodon. Eh, it's come off a little bit here. Kyle Wright. Eh, the bloom has come off a little bit there. You got Tyler Magel. Eh, not as much as he was in the early on. Mike Mikolas, uh, Chris Bassett. Walker Bueller's pretty solid. Merrill Kelly's pretty solid. Logan Webb, maybe you have a little a little shot with a guy like Logan Webb. How about uh, you know a guy like that you're going back and you're talking about uh, – Maybe a guy like Aaron Nola. Zach Wheeler has turned it around recently. Zach Wheeler, all of a sudden, um, has got to throw his name. People forget how good Wheeler was last year. But you look at Zach Wheeler and you go, oh, okay, what has he done? He's got a 1.38 ERA in his last five starts. 40 Ks, 32 innings, five earned runs in his last five starts. He's put his name back into this thing. Yeah, sure, absolutely. But when you're asking me about value, Zach Gallon's my guy. Zach Gallon has been absolutely phenomenal. You get Zach Gallon right now, by the way, at about 40 to 1 in some books. Zach Gallon in his last seven starts has allowed nobody to score more than two runs. One team did that. Six of the last seven, they've gone out there and they've scored one run or less. He's got a 1.14 ERA when I'm recording this. Zach Gallon is a serious threat. For the Cy Young in the National League in a field where I don't think you could give it to Scherzer if he's going to miss two months. You certainly can't give it to DeGrom. You can't give it to Kershaw if he's missing this much time. Brandon Woodruff has been a mess. Freddie Peralta is literally out of the race. So, I mean, it's kind of Corbin Burns, maybe Wheeler or Nola if they could turn it on. Bueller is always pretty steady. And then you got a guy like Zach Gallen. And you go, well, Tom, you know, Zach Allen is on a bad team. Zach Allen's not looking good on that team, right? I mean, I, well, he looks good, but the team isn't looking. That's not true. The, the Arizona Diamondbacks are about 500 club. You don't have to be a playoff team per se, but you got to be pretty good. And the Diamondbacks are playing much better than people gave them credit for. I think there's a lot of value still on Zach Gallen. I don't know if he's going to be able to pitch deep into games uh, late in the season. Maybe that'll hurt him. But if you're asking me where I'm throwing my money at in a wild National League side, young championship uh, race right here, I'm going Zach Gallen all day because there's value, and I love the numbers that is backing him up there. How about AL Cy Young? Well, Logan Gilbert is there. Joe Ryan looked good. Alex Manoa looks really good. Um, Kevin Gaussman, got to throw his name in there. Shane Bieber, probably not so much. De Shane McClellahan has got to be right there. And Bieber... And Cease were the betting favorites at seven to one. Now they're about ten to one. Garrett Cole was about eight to one. He's gone back to about nine to one or so. Gaussman is about twelve to one. Otani is about twelve to one. Manoa, you could still get twelve to one. Gilbert's fourteen to one. Shane McClanahan is sitting anywhere between eight and twelve to one. I've seen a couple tens out there, depending on where you're looking. Guys, the guy I'm going with is Justin Verlander. Justin Verlander's numbers are eye-poppingly good right now. They are phenomenally good. And here's the thing with a guy like Justin Verlander. You think that this is all, okay, well, you know what? It's all based on numbers. No, but remember, people are voting on this. You think people don't want to vote for Justin Verlander? That's the nostalgic vote, right? 072 whip, 1.22 ERA. He's walked nine batters in 51 innings, and he's 6-1 and one overall. So th those numbers, now we know he's not going to keep that up all year, only because he's not going to get the innings all year, right? But those numbers would equate to 22 wins, 
184 strikeouts. We're talking about a 1.2 ERA and a 0.71 whip. Justin Verlander is the guy right now. The thing is, is that you know he's coming back from an injury. You know Houston wants to baby him. At the end of the year, are they going to baby him too much? At the end of the year, is this a guy that they're going to be able to really count on down the stretch? Or are they going to pull off of Justin Verlander and say, ah, you know what, uh, too much? If you really want to go real deep, Lance Lynn has a chance to maybe come back and steal this. Maybe if Syndergaard can stay away from that bad game every now and then, uh, you could take a, a kind of a peek at him. It's Justin Verlander for me. Or if you really want to go crazy, and I love to go crazy when it's futures bets in season, I don't think it's that crazy, guys. Nestor Cortez has been the best pitcher in baseball for the last two years. Nestor Cortez is 3-1 and one on the season. He's got an 0.89 whip. He's got a 1.80 ERA. He's got a Yankee team behind him that is going to continue to keep slugging the ball. He's got no limitations for how many innings he's going to be able to go. This guy is for real. And anybody that's doubting Nestor Cortez and what he has done so far this year, go back to last year. He only threw 93 innings, but in those 93 innings, 2.90 ERA, 1.08 whip, 103 strikeouts in the 93 innings. So if you look at Nestor Cortez over his last 140 innings in baseball, 140 innings, okay? He's got 159 strikeouts in that 140 innings, and he's got a tick over two ERA, and he's under a one whip. Nestor Cortez and Justin Verlander still both offer some value. I would rather take Cortez because I think Verlander's going to be very babied in the second half of the season. All right, guys, that's going to do it for, for right now. We're going to take a quick timeout, get off of the baseball, and when we come back, we're going to get onto the NBA and the NHL. Some dominant teams are really showing their stuff. We'll see if that continues into the next round. All that and more right after this, right here on Wagering Week. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. And now back to Wagering Week with Tom Barton. I'll bet you 20 bucks I can get to gamble before the end of the day. No way. I'll give you three to one odds. You're on. What are the odds? What are the odds? Well, guys, taking a look at the NBA soon, so I wanted to take a look at the NBA in the future and Westbrook's next team odds. Where is Westbrook going to wind up if it's not the Lakers? Well, the Pacers are three to one. Knicks plus three fifty. Thunder four to one. Rockets plus five fifty. Pistons six to one. Kings nine to one. Clippers ten to one. Hornets ten to one. Cavs fourteen to one. And the Celtics are twenty to one. That is what are the odds? I got to tell you, look, Russell Westbrook. It looks like he's probably gone. Um, but but I, I just want to take a minute here on Russell Westbrook because, look, it is an interesting situation. It is. He's an interesting player. I thought he would not work with the Lakers. 
I believe that this was going to be an abject failure. We came out here and I told you guys that this was a terrible fit. This was a terrible situation. And that's exactly what it was. But Russell Westbrook is still a very talented basketball player. Russell Westbrook, last year, despite all the problems, all the issues, everyone getting down on him, he still had a pretty consistent year with his shooting numbers. And, I mean, look, you're not getting the best Russell Westbrook in L.A., but you got a pretty decent Russell Westbrook. So you start to look at him and you go, okay, well, well, where would he fit in? Because it's not like Russell Westbrook's going to be looking for a job, guys. Right? It's not like Russell Westbrook is going to go out there and he's not going to be able to help a team. He just needs the right situation. And the right situation in this spot was absolutely not the Lakers. I mean, that's just the way that it is. Anybody that thought that, <clears throat> LeBron James, doesn't know what they're talking about. I mean, that's just reality. Look, look at his overall numbers. Look at his overall stats last year. Okay? So he averaged 34 minutes. A little over 34 minutes. 2020, 36. 2019, 35. 2018, 36. 2017, 36. 2016, 34. 2015, 34. 2014, 30. You see where I'm going with this. He's averaging between 34 and 36 minutes for the last 10 years. Okay? For the last 10 years. All right. Pretty consistent with what we know about Russell Westbrook. How about points per, per game? All right. 18.5. Year before that, 22. Year before that, 27. Year before that, just under 23. Year before that, 25. I mean, 31 is in there in 2016. Then you got a 23 and a half, 28, 21 and a half, 23.2, 23. So in about a minute and a half or two less minutes, he averaged, uh, I mean, look, you got a 27 there and you got a 31 there. But generally speaking, he's between, you know, 22 and 23. So, what, what did he average? About four, maybe five less points per game. And you could go, well, Tom, that's a big number. Okay. But 18 and a half points per game is not is not a bad number. And again, you give him two more minutes per game, um, maybe he gets another bucket or two, and, and he's right there. Field goal percentage, this is what everybody got down on, right? Field goal percentage. Well, last year he had 44.4. That was better than 2020 where he had 43.9. Not as good as 2019, 47.2, but better than 2018, 42.8. Just about in line with 2017. Better than 2016. Just about in line with 2015. Better than 2014. Better than 2013. Better than 2012. I could keep going. So, minutes... We're a little bit off, right? A little bit off on minutes, yet he played more games than he has since 2017. Points, okay, he was down in scoring. About four points or so from where you want him. Four, four and a half, you know, depending on where, you, where you're looking. Four to five points off. Field goal percentage, though, was, was generally better or right in line with every single season he's had with the exception of one over the last 10. So what did you expect from him? Three-point shooting. He hit nearly 30% last year, 31 and a half. Year before that, 25. 29 the year before that. Just about 30 the year before that. 29, 29, 31. I mean, three-point percentage, right on par with what you expect from him. Rebounds, he took a little knock in rebounds. 7.4, there was 11.5 the year before that, 7.9 before that, then 11, 10, 10, 7.8, 7.3. Uh, he's done this before. 7.4 is... He's done it before. In 2013, 2012, 2011, 2010, I mean, he's, he's 
at about five per game. So again, rebounds, uh, they were a tick down from what you expected in the recent Russell Westbrook, down from about 10. But seven and a half is better than a lot of the years that he has played. Assists, he had 7.1. Now, with the Wizards, he had almost 12. With the Rockets, he had seven. 10, 10, 10, 10, 8, 7, 7, 5, 8, 8. Eh, down about an assist. Steals about the same. He's down about a half a steal, right? And blocks have never been a big part of his game. So overall, Russell Westbrook on the Lakers, who was considered this abject failure, who could not play anymore. Oh my goodness, the Laker fans were destroying him. Absolutely destroying him. Reality is this. He played more games for the Lakers than he has played games in a season since 2017. He played about... Two minutes less, about a minute and a half to two minutes less than we're used to. In that, we'll call it two minutes knockoff, he scored about four to five points less than he should, but he had a better field goal percentage than we're used to. He had about the same three-point percentage that we are used to. Reboundings were down about three at his height, but overall, I mean, his his career average, it's about where we expect. Assist. They were down over the last, you know, five or six years for sure, but only down maybe maybe one assist per game, maybe two if you really want to get there. So Russell Westbrook, guess what, guys? Russell Westbrook was the exact same player that you had to expect him to come in and be. What were the Lakers expecting? What was LeBron expecting? Russell Westbrook was the player that he's always shown to be. Now, getting up there in age, maybe a little bit, you know, and you you can't expect Russell Westbrook to go out there and get uh, 10, 11 rebounds per game. Maybe the rebounding. I mean, the guy's 33 years old. He's going to turn 34 during the season next year. The points per game, the minutes per game, the field goal percentage per game, all of that, you go, yeah, it's right there. If you tell me, okay, on a different team where he doesn't, on the Lakers, he didn't need to be the main scorer, right? So 18 and a half on a different team. Can, do I think he could get back to 22 and a half, 23 points a game? Yeah, absolutely. Do I think that he could get from seven and a half rebounds to eight and a half or nine? Yeah, absolutely. Do I think he could get maybe one more assist a game? Sure. So I look at Westbrook and I go, can he up some of these teams? Look, I, I'm not looking. 20 to one odds on the Celtics. He, he's not going to the Celtics. Okay, Let, let's just put that out there. He's not going to the Celtics. Cavaliers make a little bit of sense. They're a defensive team, 14 to 1. Okay. Hornets make a little sense. He won't work with the Clippers, I don't think. Um, Kings, 9 to 1. Yeah. Again, they're a bad team. I think that they could use kind of the the push. The Pistons at 6 to 1 makes some sense. I don't think he goes back to the Rockets at plus 550. A return to Oklahoma City at 4 to 1. Intriguing. I think that Oklahoma City welcomes him back with open arms. I think he walks into Oklahoma City and he becomes kind of the guy again. And I think he walks back to Oklahoma City and he can play sort of his style and his game. I'm not saying that he definitely goes there, but I think it makes some sense. Pacers are three to one. I don't, you know, I don't know. Maybe it's just my old school mentality about the Pacers, but they seem like more of a defensive team than what Russell Westbrook likes. And then the Knicks at plus 350. You know, the Knicks make, the most sense because the Knicks want that guy that can kind of turn around and, you know, be this, the star. They like stars in New York and they are desperate for a star in New York. 
Russell Westbrook may not be the star that he once was, but he can still play in this league, and he would bring a star status with him. He brings that star quality with him. And, and, you know, you look at this and you go, yeah, I think, I think that Russell Westbrook can still help a team. I think. I, I still believe that he could go out there and he could help a team win. So, you know, I wanted to touch on the Russell Westbrook thing because it is interesting how we're starting to get into that position where we just ended the season and people are looking back and people are talking. I know you saw the studio show where people kind of mentioned Russell Westbrook and you look at him as if he, he just crashed and burned this year where generally speaking, he's just a, a slight tick under his season averages and his field goal percentage is actually better. They call him Westbrook, right? I mean, that, that was the big thing. And everybody in L.A. calling him, calling him Westbrook and hating on him. Hey, look, you know, at the end of the day, Westbrook is a guy that you sit back and you go, yeah, you know, I, I don't know. I'm looking at this and I'm going, I, I think he can still help a team. I think he can. I don't know if you want the headache off the court. I get it. And he doesn't mesh with every team's philosophy and what they're doing. I, I, I get that. I really do. I really get that. Um, but you have to look at this and you have to say he can help a team. He's going to land on his feet. So I wanted to take a quick peek at that. All right, let's look at some of this NBA uh, right now, what, what we're looking at over the course of the next couple of days. And again, I'm recording this on Wednesday, so over the course of Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and whatnot. So I thought the Warriors were going to sweep. I thought the Warriors were going to win the championship this year. I had them sweeping in the first round. I had them sweeping in the second round. I... I I thought that the Mavericks, that's not true. I told you guys that I think the Mavericks would steal a game or two because I was so impressed with the Mavericks. But as the series went on, I want to correct that. Not that what I believe. When the series, before the series began, I thought that the Warriors would drop a game or two to Dallas, probably in Dallas, because I did believe in this Dallas defense so much. But after watching the first couple of games, I said, you know, I don't know if the Mavericks get even a game here. I started to believe that it was going to be a sweep because I thought the Warriors were that good. Well, it's 3-1. Dallas had their one really good game. Dallas had their one at-home layup kind of gentleman sweep type of game. Dallas had it. Dallas did it. Give full credit to the Dallas Mavericks for that game. That's wonderful. That's great. But on Thursday, it probably will be closed out. I don't think that the Warriors, as good as the defense by the Dallas Mavericks are, I don't think the Warriors are going to shoot as poorly as as they did. And you start to look at, uh, you know, the numbers and the and the field goal percentages. Um, look, they almost, almost shot fifty percent. That that's fine. But from the three point land, ten of twenty eight, where the Dallas Mavericks took 43, 43 three pointers. Not only did they take. They made 47%. I don't see Dallas making 47% of the three-pointers that they take. And and I don't think they're going to take 40-something three-pointers again. By the way, with all of that, shooting, I mean, damn near 50% on three-pointers and launching up 40-plus, they still only won the game by 10. So that'll tell you something. So now Thursday's line, Golden State minus seven at home. It should be minus seven over under sitting there at 215, 215 and a half, depending on where you are shopping. You look at this and you go, let's see, Warriors won the first game in blowout fashion. Warriors won the second game by nine. Warriors won the third game by nine. And then the 10 point win by Dallas. Okay, so the spread is right there. 
It's a go-home game for Dallas. If you lose, you, you, you go home. But the Warriors are back at home. The Warriors do not want to go back to Dallas facing a now 3-2 series. You don't want that. So you expect Golden State to be absolutely on top of their game. Because you always talk about the other team. When, when you're looking at a closeout game, at a game where a team could go home, you always look at the other team, don't you? You always look at that team. You go, oh, Dallas is going to be tight. Well, the Warriors don't want to lose this game either because now you go back to Dallas, a place where you just lost, and you kind of give them life. I think the Warriors win this game on Thursday, but the seven is a touchy number. Um, they won both of their game, the last two games by nine. I, you, if you... If you have minus seven and you win by nine, do you feel comfortable that game? No, I mean, look, you're cashing the ticket. Cashing the ticket is cashing the ticket. I get that. But you don't feel comfortable throughout the game. So, I don't know. To me, you know, it's a, it's a dangerous line. It's a dangerous spread. I think that Dallas can play well. I do think that the Warriors probably win. And they probably cover the spread only because of the late fouls, only because at the end of the game, when the series is kind of ending, and you look up and you know your series is ending, most of the time you can see the malaise in people. You can see Dallas probably carrying itself down. They're depressed, which means some of those late shots, ah, they're not going to go in. Yeah, okay, well, we're, we're down 10 with, you know, 30 seconds to go. Is there a reason to take this three-pointer with authority? Ah, you know, I don't know. Season's over. I'm dep- It's just human nature. So... I think that this is going to be a tight game. You know, if I had to, had to figure this out, I'm going, all right, it's going to be a tight game throughout. I think Dallas will have a chance in the fourth quarter to be real competitive, meaning a two, three-point game in the fourth quarter. But with about five minutes to go, I expect the Warriors to be up by about eight or nine points. So giving seven in that spot, I don't love it. I don't love it. And it wouldn't shock me at all to see Dallas win this game. It wouldn't shock me just because their defense can be just electric at times it wouldn't shock me I just don't kind of expect it if that makes some sense um finally then on Friday we get Celtics heat back in Boston this has been a series of injuries I mean that's just reality everything this series has almost been tainted by injuries you can say from the heat Lowry out uh, Jimmy Butler leaving the court hit him being out those are massive and Tyler Harrow uh, hero being out those were massive injuries. We're not talking about secondary players. We're not talking about guys that could contribute, might contribute. Jimmy Butler is the best player on the Miami Heat. You can argue that Lowry's the second best player on the Miami Heat. Tyler Hero is probably the best sixth man in the league. Okay? Those are three massive contributors. Massive contributors. Those are three guys that you look at and you go, you know, these are not role players here. Okay? Um... For Boston, look, a lot of the same. Williams, one of their best defensive players down low. Marcus Smart is the best defensive player in the NBA. And he's been hobbled in this series. So we're not talking about injuries to secondary guys. These are major, major injuries. On a very neutral court with everybody completely healthy, I think that the Celtics take this series in six. So, with the Heat missing a lot of players, with the Celtics all banged up, you know, we're still sitting here and we're still going to a game six. Uh, I know that we like to try to kind of look at the injuries and always talk about injuries and what could be, what could have been. Hey, look, we are getting a game six. 
And while we have had blowout upon blowout upon blowout in this series, and that's what this series is going to be remembered for. It's going to be remembered for blowouts and injuries. We have had a lot of blowouts, and we've had a lot of injuries. But at the end of the day, while it may have taken away aesthetically from the viewing standpoint, and the NBA is getting increasingly difficult to watch this round, but while it might have taken away from aesthetically pleasing viewing standpoint in this, and the viewing aspect of everything that we're talking about may have been down. Overall, the series, sure, it was affected by injuries, but both teams have a claim. Sure, it was a, an injury problem. Oh, my big guy's injured. Oh, my big... Yes, but both teams can say exactly that. So I'm not... Whoever walks away winning this series, I'm not slighting them. I'm not going to turn around and say, no, you know what? You didn't earn it because the other team was injured. No, you didn't. I'm not going to do that. Because both teams have been injured. This has been an injury series. This has been a full topic of conversation day in and day out in the series. And maybe in the future sometime we can see, maybe it's next year, where the Heat and Celtics play with a fully healthy roster, everyone 100%. But at this time of year, I just don't think anyone's going to be 100%. And they're playing and doing the best they can. I'm not taking anything away from whoever wins this series because of injuries. It was a prevailing thought. I get it. But I'm looking at this and I'm just saying, you know, I'm giving full credit to whoever moves on, no matter what the situation or the injury statuses are. Now, I mentioned the future, guys. Now, let's go back to the future. We're sending you back to the future. Okay, all right. Bet, bet to, to the, the future. future. Okay, guys, let's go bet to the future. Bet to the future is we're going to go stay with the Lakers theme here. And who is the Lakers' next head coach? Well, I have the odds. Terry Stotts is at 5-1. to one. Charles Lee, 6-1. to one. David Hamm, 6-1. to one. Mark Jackson, 7-1. to one, Along with Doc Rivers at 7-1. to one. Kenny Atkinson, 8-1. to one. Adrian Griffin, 11-1. to one. David Vanderpool, 12-1. to one. Nick Nurse, 12-1. to one. Quinn Schneider, 13-1. to one. Steve Clifford, 13-1. to one. Jay Wright, Think he's coming out of retirement. 16 to 1. John Calipari, 33 to 1. Jeff Van Gundy and Stan Van Gundy, both 50 to 1. Becky Hammond, 66 to 1. Coach K coming out of retirement, 80 to 1. Phil Jackson, 100 to 1. And LeBron James, 125 to 1. And that is bet to the future. I mean, LeBron James is the winner. <laughs> Just because he's going to be head coach, right? I mean, he, he really, look, LeBron is going to be the head coach, uh, but he won't be named it. Um, so don't put your money there. Phil Jackson, no. I don't think they go the Becky Hammond route, although that would be interesting. The Van Gundys, no. I don't think Wright, Calipari, or Coach K are coming, although they should really kind of just literally open up the, the pocketbook and say, just come for anything. Uh, I'm not buying into Clifford. Quinn Schneider's interesting. That's interesting. Nick Nurse is interesting. Um, Doc, I, I think, I think, Everybody wants Doc. I think Doc makes a lot of sense. I know Terry Stotts and Charles Lee, David Hamm, they're up there. I think Doc or Mark Jackson makes the most sense. And you're getting decent odds on both. I don't love this. I don't love this prop play at all. But I think um, if you're kind of taking a shot, that makes some sense. All right, guys, let's move it over to the NHL now. And while we have not had a lot of exciting games in the NBA, well, the NHL has been a completely different animal. As we know, and now we have some series really extending outside of the Avalanche and the Blues. Which look, the Blues, Blues made made a series of it, I guess, right? I mean, can we say that the Blues make make a series of it here? Um, yeah, I, I mean, look, I thought that they, I thought that the Blues 
would maybe win one game. I thought it would be in St. Louis. I thought that they would maybe win one game. They they played well, but I think what we're watching is just the avalanche are fantastic. And I get it. Look, Blues fans are going to sit there and say, well, what happens if we had our goalie and what would we have been had he been healthy? No, no, no. You have a fair point. I understand it. But I don't think it would have changed anything. At least I didn't think it would going to change anything um, before all this began. To me, the avalanche were the prevailing best team in the West. I thought that they would get through a couple of rounds. Now, I'm not going to say I'm nervous about them, but moving on to the next round is where I started to go. I could see the avalanche kind of faltering. As If you remember, I told you guys I thought Edmonton was going to go. I really liked them. So avalanche have been the number one team. They have. They've been the number one team in the West all year. They've been the number one team really in hockey for what? like three years, but they have nothing to show for it. It's all about, can they get over the hump this year? Can they kind of make that turn and that turn into a championship caliber team instead instead of just a very, very good team? So, uh, you know, we are kind of stopping and waiting and seeing there. Look, they were minus 400, minus 425 or so to win the entire series. So uh, this is not a shock to anyone. Um, I told you guys, look, I'm taking them. I don't mind taking massive juice if I just believe that it's not going to be a problem. I took the Avalanche in the first round, and I was laying about 5-1. to one. Took the Avalanche for the series, I'm saying, in the second round, laying 4-1. to one. I don't mind taking big, big juice games. I don't mind taking big juice series, I should say. It's not fluky like a game. St. Louis could win a game or two. Doesn't really matter. I just never imagined that they would be able to, even if they were able to push this thing to seven, I never imagined that they would be able to win a game seven in Colorado. And that's kind of my basis behind it. It's the same thing why I took Colorado in round one. I know it was heavy juice. I know it was massive. I didn't care. I I, I just didn't care. The other two series that I told you, I did take the Rangers at nearly two to one coming back. And I took the Oilers. I took the Edmonton Oilers at plus 170 coming back to me in the series. I feel pretty good. Going into Thursday's game, look, what we know about the Hurricanes is they are almost unstoppable on their own ice, but they are a completely different team when they go on the road. And we're talking about Carolina now, all of a sudden, minus 150 back at home again. Um, You look at the Rangers, and I think you're very optimistic. After game two, on my Wanna Bet show on Sunday, and then we over my, my Vegas weekend show, I sat around and I talked about how I was not down being down 0-2 if I'm a Rangers fan. Don't hang your heads being down 0-2 if you're a Rangers fan. Because you saw certain things that you really liked early on in the series. And that is the fact that the Hurricanes could not score more than two goals. They they just couldn't. Igor Chishurskin had a problem against the Penguins. He was pulled out of three games. But He won game five, he won game six, he won game seven. He didn't allow more than three goals in any of those three games, allowed exactly three goals, but winner, winner, winner. I saw Adam Fox really up his game, who I think is one of the most underrated players in the league still, even right now. Um, I saw Panarin with a big goal. You want more out of him if you're a Ranger fan. You you do. You need more out of Panarin, but I saw him get a big confidence-building goal. I saw this offense kind of clicking, but it was the, the, the defense. Carolina's number one defense is going to give anybody problems, but the Rangers are the number two defense, and they have the better goalie. And for me, this entire series was about, can Igor become the MVP candidate that he's supposed to be? Can Igor become the best goal in the league, which he was for most of the season? Can he kind of find that again? 
Well, they certainly did. So even in losses, even in the first two losses in Carolina, 2-1, 2-0, they only put up two goals. Then they come back to New York. And coming back to New York, he's held them now to one goal a pop. So in his last four games, guys, he's allowed six total goals, never more than two. This is the Rangers defense that you banked on. This is the Igor Shashurskin that you banked on all the time. This is who you wanted. This is who has come to play. And this is a problem for Carolina. Moving forward in this series, you know, look, it's tied 2-2 when I'm recording this. It almost doesn't matter if Carolina wins game five because I can't see them winning game six. So now it goes to a game seven. And before the series began, I sat back and I said to everybody, I said, guys, in a crucial game seven, can you possibly bet against Carolina at home? A team that did not lose a single home game against Boston in round one. A team that at that point would then have not lost a game at home against the Rangers in round two. A team that has excelled at home. That place in Raleigh does get crazy. That's a good home arena. That is a good hometown advantage. All of that. Do you bet against Carolina? Well, it's a tough thing. It's a tough thing to do. But how can you bet against Igor Shashurskin in a go-home Game 7 if it comes to that? How? How can you bet against this Rangers team that already proved what they could do in OT in Game 7? How can you go against the best goalie in the league? Guys, he's going to be either number 1, 2, or 3 for the MVP right now. He's going to walk away. Uh, with, with the, the the trophy, he's going to be right there. He is that guy. I have a hard time betting against Carolina at home, sure. I have a hard time betting against a goalie that is as good as Igor is at any time. I have a hard time with that. So I think the Rangers are... are look, I feel good that I got him at plus 195 or whatever. It was almost just about 2-1. to one. I, I feel real good that I have the Rangers at plus 195. I feel good about that because I think they can win this series. If they win Thursday, the series is over. Okay, if they win Thursday, the series is over. But if they lose Thursday, I don't think the series is over because I think a Game 7 going up against Igor is something that this Hurricanes team is going to press for. They just can't generate offense. They can't. By the way... Uh, the lines in some of these games are six and a half. There was sevens in the in the Edmonton games. 2-1 under. 2-0 under. 3-1 under. 4-1 under. I mean, you, you like unders. This is a series for you. And it, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to understand, right? Because the numbers put out there at five and a half, you got the number one and number two best defenses in the league going up against each other. Uh, that's what you have. All right. In the other series, Oilers, Flames, uh, I mean, what what do you say about it? I I love Edmonton. I loved Edmonton before the year, before the playoffs. I told you guys, I think that this could be the year that McDavid lifts a cup. And it was all because since their coaching change on February 10th, this team is the third best team in hockey. They also are a really good defensive team that nobody gives them credit for their defense. And my biggest really overriding conversation has really come to fruition. And that is that Connor McDavid is so good, he will not allow this team to lose. And there are times where you can see that against a Kings team in Game Seven. That I I went I bet on 
Edmonton for the series. I bet on Edmonton in the game. I bet on Connor McDavid for points. I bet on Connor McDavid for goals. I bet on everything. Because I said, there's no way he's going home in a game seven at home against the Kings. There's just no way. So after they they lose 9-6 in a ridiculous game one, you know, you go back and you go, Connor McDavid's on another level. He's on another level right now. I don't know if they lose again. Now they've rattled off three straight. I, I think they could lose one to the Flames, but to me, look, here we go again. If it goes seven, which I, I don't think it's going to get there, but if it goes seven, how do you bet against Connor McDavid in, against it in game seven? I know it's in Calgary. I know that how good the Flames can be. I know how that arena is going to be rocking. I get all that. How can you bet against Connor McDavid in a game seven? You, you just can't. You just flat out can't. So, I think that you're in a good spot if you have Edmonton. I, I, I'm I not going to bet him on Thursday night at all. But going back home to Edmonton when you're you're sitting back there and it'll be, what, Saturday will be that game six. Yeah, I, I think you take Edmonton to close out the series in game six. The line will probably be about minus 170, 180 for the Oilers. Um, and what, what better situation for the NHL? On a Saturday to have Connor McDavid in you know full view to move on, I think it's going to be a fantastic situation for them. So I mean that that's where we are. I still look. I'm looking ahead and I'm going. Yeah, I think the Oilers can take out the Avalanche. I do. I, I know. I, I know that I'm nuts, but I I do. As far as the other series, the series that wrapped up, what can you say about the Florida Panthers other than they just cannot get it done on the power play? That is the reason why they're home. That is the reason why we're sitting here talking about Tampa Bay moving on yet again. That is the reason. You could talk about Vasilevsky, who oh, absolutely had a massive impact. I mean, Vasilevsky had a massive impact on the game. Vasilevsky was unbelievable. He has continuously stood on his head year after year after year now. So I want to give full credit to Vasilevsky, but it's the power play, man. I mean, it is unbelievable. I think they had, I think they were one of thirty something on the power play. Uh, the Panthers in the playoffs, they were terrible. So uh, that ticket's ripped up. I gave you that before the year. I told you that the Panthers were going to go. But if you were smart, you hedged your bet. Obviously, if they get into the playoffs, you start hedging at eighteen to one odds, which we did. So we all walked away with a little bit of money. Uh, but it was disappointing. Now, when you look at Tampa Bay, you start to have that question. Now that they're they've advanced, they advanced in such a fashion that they just humiliated the Panthers in a lot of ways. And you start to look at how Vasilevsky's in that zone, and you start to think, okay, now they got some time off to go get Braden Point back healthy, and you start to think, can can we can we have a three-peat? They will be a overwhelming favorite against Carolina or the Rangers. And, and I think it would be a great series to have Igor against Vasilevsky. I do. I think that would be unbelievable. Um, looking ahead, I, I think that you have to favor Tampa Bay to go back to the cup. And if they get there, if they're against Edmonton, they're a big favorite. A big favorite because it's Vasilevsky. It's the experience. It's good for hockey to have McDavid there. But they're a big favorite. If they're against Calgary, they're a massive favorite. Huge favorite. Think about what Calgary would have to do to get there. They'd have to go through three. They'd have to win three three in a row here against Edmonton. They'd have to probably win a game seven, you know, in crazy fashion. They'll be tired. Tampa Bay will be rested. No. They'll, they'll be um, uh, moving on to Colorado, I'm saying, if Calgary, and then they got to go out and beat, Ca- beat Colorado. It's just a lot to, to climb there. And then you get to Colorado. They won't be the favorites against Colorado. You'll be able to get a team going for a three-peat as an underdog against Colorado. But with all Colorado's playoff problems and all Colorado's playoff failures, 
can you really bet on Colorado against a red-hot Vasilevsky against what we'll, we're looking at down the road? I don't know if Tampa Bay gets there, but I'm giving you the odds here. They will be massive favorites against the Rangers. Uh, I'm talking about probably 2-1 to one to win that. Against Carolina, plus, minus 180 or so. You get into against Calgary in the finals, more than 2-1. to one. Against Edmonton, they're minus 190, 180. Maybe a little bit of money comes back because of Connor, Connor McDavid. Uh, but against the Avalanche, they'll be underdogs, plus 120 or so. They'll be underdogs. Uh, but can anybody go out there and bet against Vasilevsky, Cooper, Braden Point, Stamkos, and all the names that we know going for a three-peat? I don't think we can. I don't think we can get into that spot. I really don't. All right, guys, enjoy the week. I'm Tom Barton for Wagering Week. We'll be back, and you can bet on that. This has been a presentation of the Sports Garden Network. To be part of the show, call 1-855-4-GARTEN. That's 1-855-442-7386. Connect with us on Facebook and Twitter at Sports Garden. That's G-A-R-T-E-N. Get all your credible sports intelligence 24 hours a day by visiting us at sportsgarden.com. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So... No, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.